Richard had an anger problem and he had a hard time holding down a job because he couldn't get along with his superiors. Um, he thought his bosses were idiots. Uh, he said he'd get so mad he'd want to beat them up, you know, take them, find them in, a, in an alley somewhere and make them black and blue. Uh, but the only thing that kept him from doing it, he told his pastor, was that he was saved from hell and that they were going to burn in hell. <laughs> Uh, in his words, I just flipped them the finger in my mind because they're all going to hell. You know, uh, Richard's got a problem. He's probably got several problems. Uh, but, but the problem I'm interested in this morning with, with Richard's frame of mind is the gospel problem that he seems to have. Um, if by gospel we mean the way of conceiving the Christian hope and life. The gospel, Richard believes, doesn't challenge his attitude toward his bosses. It doesn't challenge what's going on in his interior. It, it affirms it. Uh, Richard, I would suggest, needs a bigger gospel. He needs one that helps him reconcile with others. Um, in the same way God reconciled with him, he needs one that, that affects some life change in his heart in terms of love and compassion for the people that are around him. Uh, Dave had worked for Starbucks for a couple of years. He took the job to be a missionary. And he was prayerful, because you don't take it to make a lot of money, that's for sure. Um, he was prayerful about, amen, he's prayerful about how he might share the good news with his co-workers. And over time, he built a lot of Credibility and trust. He became good friends, so much so that one day Rachel pulled him aside. One of his coworkers wanted to talk. She shared with Dave how she and her husband had been having a hard time. They were former drug addicts and they were having problems. Her husband had lapsed and just left her out of the blue. And she was devastated. And Dave sat there wondering how in the world... Could I share something hopeful um, or, or encouragement from God with Rachel? The trouble was the gospel that he knew didn't seem to fit the situation. He'd been trained in what's called the four spiritual laws. Uh, one of the better known approaches for evangelism and sharing the gospel in the last 50 years. The four laws are God has a plan. We are sinful and separated from God. Jesus has made provision for sin. And if you receive Jesus, you can know God's love and plan for your life. All of those are wonderful things. And they're biblical things. But they didn't seem to fit Rachel's situation. She wasn't feeling guilt about her sin. She wasn't feeling shame about her sinfulness. She was devastated by relational brokenness, by betrayal, by hurt in a relationship. Dave's gospel wasn't big enough to speak to Rachel. I would suggest Dave needs a bigger gospel. One that's bigger than the popular reductions of the gospel, uh, like the four spiritual laws, as good as they are. Uh, but the gospel that says that Jesus is merely a good example for us to follow. We need something bigger. Something broader than that. And Rachel needs a bigger gospel. She needs one that's good news for the brokenness in her relationships and in addictions. When Martin Luther King 
Jr. was standing up against systems and narratives of white supremacy uh, in the civil rights movement, he observed that lots of white pastors were noticeably silent about injustice. And, and when white pastors did speak up and give him feedback, they said things like what this particular white evangelical leader said, that the job of the minister is to lead the souls of men to God, not to bring about confusion by getting tangled up in transitory social problems. I believe that white pastor had a gospel problem. His gospel was too small. It wasn't big enough to address social injustice and oppression and, and how faith in the kingdom of God interact with the politics of our day and age. I would suggest he needs a bigger gospel. What have you observed in our world that demonstrates thinking and living with what might be a small gospel, a small sense of Christian hope and life. What have you seen? Say the question differently. How do you see this small gospel uh, thinking kind of working? Where, where do you see a disconnect between people's faith and their imagination for how to live it out. Okay, so I feel like, as far as like politics and voting goes, that the way that I was raised was if you were a Christian, I would vote Republican. Because of several things, but I think it would really boil down to you. And like for me, that's a very small gospel because I feel like the gospel is much bigger than that one issue. And that Democrats include some of those issues that act in their gospel. Yeah. So political <laughs> political engagement and how we engage politics, how do we how do we interact with politics, what kind of imagination we have, um, can reveal a lack of gospel imagination. Yeah. Mr. Howard. I think the, the flip side of that is, so I was, I was given the same political philosophy in my youth as well, but then the other challenge that I heard from the same side was, was, was this other thing that, like, you know, really, if you're a Christian, then you have no allegiance to this country, truly, and it's really, like, if you vote and you put your aspirations and your hopes in this, then that's a form of idolatry, hmm. and really we're better off just kind of ignoring what's going on because mm-hmm. this world has been doomed and whatever happens here ultimately, I mean, in terms of as long as you can find your way to faith, then it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it's all going to go away. And these are, like you said in the MLK story, right. ago, it, these are transitory problems. They're temporary problems. Transitory mm-hmm. social problems. Yeah. Right. Let's save some souls for God. That's right. And not right. worry about the social stuff. Exactly. This yeah. world's going to hell anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. John? When I worked at DTS, I was on one hand delighted that people were thinking so clearly about doctrine and theology and all those good intellectual academic things. Yet I saw that 
although they read the Bible or studied the Bible and read the Hebrew, they didn't practice the Bible. They saw it all as a mental exercise. They didn't, when it came to benevolence and helping other people and serving people, they were negligent. Uh, there are some missionaries among them that went and did the deal, but it's all about thinking right, talking right, writing big, big books, full of all kinds of fluffy things. Uh, but in terms of doing or sharing or laying on your life, if one person hadn't given $10,000 per year for benevolence for the students, then when a student uh, had, a, had a, a trouble with their car or their health, they're out of luck. They would they could lose everything because they, just because one person thought and when it kind of eleven thousand dollars. Sorry, Charlie, that wasn't next year. Three cars break down so you go to your job so you can even work at school. We got nothing for you here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was going, huh? Just what Bible are you reading? Yeah. That's a, there's a disconnect there. Yeah. We need a bigger gospel. Uh, we need a we need a big robust, all-encompassing gospel. Because if the gospel isn't big enough for everything in our lives and in our world, we can easily create a compartment to put it in and bring it out at our convenience to our benefit and to the, uh, uh, the detriment even of others. We need a bigger, a bigger gospel for our neighborhoods because if the gospel isn't big enough for everything going on in our neighborhoods, we won't have much of anything relevant to say. Nobody will want to hear it because it, how will it be good news if it doesn't speak to what's going on in our neighborhoods? So the, the question I would like to wonder is, is it possible to have a bigger gospel? Or are we just stuck with smaller conceptions of gospel because, well, I mean, that's, that's kind of what the Bible says and that's the extent of it. And we're, we're kind of constrained to these ways of thinking about the gospel. Can we have a bigger gospel yes. without making stuff up? Yes. So let's look at Scripture and see if we can. Uh, in the Genesis story, chapter 3, Adam and Eve are commanded not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or they'll die. A serpent comes along and persuades them. That's right, a serpent does. From uh, uh, persuades them to eat it by telling them, "Oh, you won't die. You'll actually be like God if you do that." And when Adam and Eve declare independence from God by eating the fruit from this off-limits tree, it causes this fracture in the cosmos. Um, stuff gets broken, and four relationships in particular suffer in this story. First, their relationship with God is broken. They disobey God. They hide from God. They are removed from the garden where they experience relationship with God. Their relationship with each other is broken. Secondly, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. Husbands would come to dominate women, as this story suggests. Uh, patriarchy emerges. Relational hierarchy and subordination begins. Third, their relationship with their selves is broken. They experience pride in thinking they're greater than they are. They experience shame in thinking they're less than they actually are. And they experience fear. Fear comes to fill their hearts when they hear God walking in the garden. 
Something in their psyche breaks in this origin story. And then finally, fourth, their relationship with the earth is broken. The ground is cursed. Adam will now have this adversarial relationship with the earth rather than a collaborative one. Humanity will be at odds with the powers represented in this story by the serpent. Relationships with God, with others, with self, and with the earth are broken in this origin story. Maybe you've heard the old Indian tale about the four blind men who discovered an elephant. I think I've told this fable, um, this parable before. Uh, These blind men have never encountered an elephant before. And they grope about wondering, you know, what is this? All in different parts of the elephant. One guy grasps the trunk and concludes it's a snake. Another one explores one of the legs and describes it as a tree. The third finds the elephant's tail and is convinced that this is a rope. And the fourth discovers the elephant's side, walking straight into it, begins to climb up this side, convinced that it's a wall. This is immovable. This isn't going anywhere. And which one is right? I mean, each person in his blindness is trying to describe the same thing. They're they're seeking to grasp a part of this larger whole. And so on some level, even though their descriptions are wrong, they're all they're all seeking to describe the same thing, just not completely. So sometimes this happens with the gospel. It's possible to latch on to part of it and claim this is the gospel when the gospel is actually much bigger than that. For instance, uh, the heritage I grew up in, we inherited from a guy named Walter Scott the five-finger exercise. So that when someone asks you or when you wanted to tell someone what is the gospel, uh, how to obey the gospel, this is language we would use, you'd say, well, it's easy. you got five points. Hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. That's the gospel. Exact kind of language. Now, uh, is human response and faith part of the gospel? Absolutely. But do you notice how the gospel gets truncated down to this individual human response and agency? Is the gospel bigger than human response? Well, I sure hope so. So, we, it grabs on to part of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. Uh, I've been in any number of Bible classes where I have taught or asked, what do you guys think the gospel is? I facilitate a workshop on mission where that's a common question that we wrestle with and, and invite responses And there's this pre-programmed response because lots of people, lots of Christians are people of the book. And so it's easy to latch on to scriptures where where it says gospel and this is the gospel. And so without fail, in in any environment where I ask, you know, what's the gospel? Without fail. 1 Corinthians 15, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's right. That's the gospel. Right? Um, the, The text that we read, right, talks about the gospel. It's as the death and burial and resurrection 
of Jesus. Now, uh, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus central to the gospel? Yes, absolutely. Is it integral and essential and non-negotiable? Yes. Yes. Uh, But is, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the extent, the scope, the timing of the gospel? No, the gospel is bigger. The, I, would, I would suggest the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are the means of the gospel. They're how the good news happens. But there's still good news beyond death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So much so that Paul doesn't talk about the gospel the same way. In Acts, when he preaches about the gospel, his gospel with the pagans is, there's one true and living God. That's the gospel. He, he associates gospel. So even, even Paul has this robust thought of what the gospel is. Not only that, but we can't skip past in 1 Corinthians 15 where it talks about how Christ was, was, uh, was buried, was died, was raised according to the scriptures. That's a key phrase. Because it tells us that there's some bigger story that's making sense of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Is 1 Corinthians 15... A part of the gospel? Absolutely. But it's not all of it. The gospel is bigger than that. That is the means by which the good news occurs. You know, I grew up uh, in my 20s uh, going to seminary. And part of what helped me figure out that I could continue to be a Christian into my adulthood was folks like Brian McLaren and Shane Claiborne who imagined that the gospel was not just about getting people's butts into heaven after they died. And, and who cares about what happens here? And as that iterated and made its way through the emerging church uh, movement, an emergent movement, uh, there, there, become, there became expressions of Christianity that seemed to me uh, like the gospel is social justice, Right? Uh, the gospel is working in the here and now to alleviate oppression, to alleviate suffering, to alleviate pain. That's really where the gospel's at. That, that's gospel. That's really where we need to focus on. Now, is social justice a big part of the gospel? Does, does Jesus pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Absolutely. Is it a a vital and important part that the gospel is affecting our social reality? Yes, it absolutely is. But the gospel is bigger than social justice, too. Social justice is part of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. Let's, Let's have a robust enough gospel to include all of these things. Jesus began his ministry in Mark 1. Verse 15, by declaring, the time is now. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, the the empire, the world of God is near. Repent, turn, and believe the good news. Good news. Believe the gospel, literally. Jesus' gospel was about how God was becoming king in the world. God was taking charge. As we said, Jesus even prayed that God would be king on earth as God was in heaven. That everything would operate according to His will on earth 
in the way it does in heaven. Not just at some point in the future, but in the present. The time is now. According to Matthew 19, you might want to turn here and look at this or look it up in your phone. Matthew 19, after Jesus asks the rich young ruler, well, he was a rich young ruler, you know, in, the, in our Christian storytelling, he's the rich young ruler. But this really affluent young dude, um, who's a governor or a prince or something, um, Jesus asks him to sell all of his stuff and follow him, and he can't do it. Right? He, he turns and he goes away disappointed because that was too big of an ask. He, that wasn't the gospel he wanted to sign up for. And so Jesus' disciples say, hey, I mean, now that you're asking us to give away everything, you remember how we've given away everything, right? So what, what do you think is going to be in it for us? Uh, what will we receive for sacrificing so much to follow you? And this is the point at which Jesus says, and I think it's maybe 25, verse 25, is that right? Truly I tell you. 28. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for My sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit an eternal kind of life. Did you catch that? The disciples were going to benefit personally from the good news, for sure. They would inherit eternal life, something they would receive themselves. They would get to co-lead with Jesus in the coming kingdom. But all of that is part of something much larger. The renewal of all things. When the kingdom of God arrives in full, everything will be renewed that was broken by the reign of sin and death. The brokenness that began in the garden will be mended. Our relationships with God, with others, with ourselves, and with the earth will be healed. They are now being healed in the kingdom of God. Paul explains how God renews everything in Colossians 1. Verse 15, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The way that God takes charge of the world is not to come with overpowering force and violence, but through sacrificing self. And defeating death. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus are the means through which God reconciles everything in heaven and on earth to himself. The gospel then is the good news that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, God is at work to mend everything that has been broken by the reign of sin and death. Our relationships with God. Our relationships with each other. Our relationships within ourselves, with our own psyches. And our relationships with earth and the powers and principalities and systems within it. The scope of the gospel is everything. The means of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus. The timing of the gospel is past and present and future. 
It started in the work of Jesus. It continues now breaking out into this world. And it will culminate in full in the renewal of all things. That is the Christian hope. That's the Christian gospel. What signs of good news of the gospel do you see at work around you? Tell me a story. Tell me, tell me a, a testimony of, of how you see good news and gospel. The work of God alive around us, within us, in our city. What, what comes to mind? good news do you see? Gospel work. Yes. That is the work of God. Yeah. One more? I feel like so much of what we see with our friends with the Alabama, um, just the community that they find there, and uh, some of the ways that the way I the way I see and hear them caring about others, being present with others, um, who are on the margins, and, you know, it's very life-giving. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, God is at work. And there, there is good news emerging. There's good news there before we ever got there. Yeah. Uh, let me share some good news with you. Uh, if you are feeling disconnected from God this morning, you need to know that you are the beloved of God. Amen. And that nothing can separate you from the love of God Amen. in Christ Jesus. If you are feeling at odds with yourself, if you're having trouble loving yourself, if you are feeling anxiety or depression, hear the good news of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God is at work to mend 
the broken parts of your heart. To heal the trauma. The good news is that you can have peace. You can have joy. And when you help others experience those same things, that is gospel work. If you are stressed about your relationships, if you're experiencing distance or lack of intimacy or conflict or hurt or pain in your relationships, in your marriage or in dating or in your family relationships, hear the good news. God is at work to reconcile you in all your relationships. The heart of God is to mend and heal and bring together people around the gospel if we'll only open ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. If you're frustrated and angry and sad about racism in our country, the good news is that God is at work to subvert the narrative of white supremacy, to bring people together in Christ of every cultural, ethnic, and racial background. And when you help others to come into that family, that unity around the gospel, that's gospel work. If you're overwhelmed with how broken a system it seems that we are a part of, if you are overwhelmed with, with the, the garbage heap that our creation and planet appears to be, with, with pollution and with the lack of concern about the created order that we have been entrusted to steward, hear the good news. God is bringing new creation. God is overcoming the powers and principalities. And when we work in these ways, when we seek to join God in the work that He is doing, that is gospel work. I realize that I am creating tension. Yeah? It's been a bad news kind of week for me. Why? Why is there so much bad news when the good news is supposed to be winning out? The truth is, we're in good company with Abraham and Sarah, who didn't know where they were going. We're in good company with Joseph, who wondered if he'd rot in a jail cell his whole life. We're in good company with Israel, who cried out to God for so many years, for centuries, in the midst of oppression and slavery. We're in good company with Jesus, who wondered why God had forsaken him to die on a cross. And yet Abraham and Sarah found the promised land. And Joseph rose to a culture-shifting, history-shifting position of leadership after prison. And Israel experienced the deliverance of God in the Exodus. And Jesus, our Lord, experienced resurrection from death. And what's more, each of these folks discovered that God was with them 
all along. Even amidst the suffering and pain. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be afraid. For you are with me. That's something to hold on to. Yes? Yes? Paul said in one of his letters, God, who began a good work in you, is able to finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is not slow to bring about renewal because God is incompetent to do so. God is slow because God is patient. God is slow because God is love. And that's good news to my ears. The word of the Lord. Lord, I lift up uh, all of us. I, I, I entrust my heart to you. I entrust the, the people who aren't here with us this morning, um, who are in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in the places we hang out. And we, we just ask, Lord, would you... Uh, would you come, Lord Jesus? Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you open our eyes to who you are, to where you are? Would you, would you enter in and bring the love and peace and joy and healing uh, that comes, the good news that come, comes when you have your way, when you rule, when you reign in this world? We want more of that. And God, would you shift in us Whatever needs to shift so that we can receive and enter in more this week into your world than we have so far. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.